and welcome to X-Men Unraveled. My name is Noelle, and in this podcast, I cover the stories of the X-Men in chronological order. This week, we're back to our usual format of focusing on the comics and not so much history. I also took a little bit of liberty with the chronology in the last episode so that I could tell Magneto's story without interruption. So today, we're going to start catching back up with what Wolverine is up to in the years leading to World War II. As one of the oldest members of the X-Men, he's got quite the background to cover, and he has tons of stories that take place in the years leading up to and during World War II. This episode is going to consist of a couple unrelated stories on opposite sides of the world, and we're heading back into the crazy realm of time travel again. So I don't know who's been keeping up with the Loki show so far on Disney+, Plus, but I do wonder where the TVA is in all the X-Men time travel madness. I find it really hard to believe that they aren't breaking the rules somehow. Anyway, a quick refresher that the last time we left Logan, he had just turned down an offer to join a group called the Covenant after lying to them about carrying out an assassination. In 1934, they gave him the task of taking out a mystical woman known as the Dreaming Maiden, but when he found her, she was too hot and he couldn't go through with killing her. So he saves her life and then went back to Shanghai and lied to the Covenant about his mission. Logan must have stayed in Shanghai for a while because the next piece of the story takes place there as well. The story unfortunately marks the first time I've been unable to read a story for this podcast from an actual comic. The issue it comes from is not digitized on Marvel Unlimited. I have no idea why. From what I read, it could just be that they don't have a solid copy to digitize, but I've noticed that some stories about Logan that maybe don't fit into the continuity that's developed later also happen to be the ones missing from Marvel Unlimited, but that could just be my own conspiracy theory. Either way, thank goodness for UncannyXmen.net, which has full synopses of individual X-Men comics. I don't know if every X-Men story is broken down there, but it sure seems like it, and I will be forever grateful. <laughs> so this story comes from Wolverine number 113, paraphrased from the UncannyXmen.net synopsis. So while Logan is in Shanghai, he's wandering through the city and comes across an old man with a young boy following behind him. The boy's carrying a box, and the old man tells him to be careful because it holds dangerous secrets. Not far behind, though, there's two soldiers chasing the man and the boy. Logan's watching it, and he's drinking, and sees the soldiers catch up and hit the old man. The boy tries to protect him, but one of the soldiers stops him and points a gun at the boy. At this point, Logan's had enough, and he jumps in and fights the soldiers for attacking the two weaker individuals. Logan's intervention saves the boy and the old man, and one of the soldiers is impressed by Logan's bravery because he just sees this unarmed dude jump in and protect the others. The soldier is also a captain in the Japanese Imperial Army. He extends an invitation to Logan to train at the Ogun Ryu Dozo in Kanagawa, Japan. Logan blows off the offer, but then the old man he saved approaches him and tells Logan that he would train him and teach him the mysteries of the universe. 
That doesn't appeal to Logan much either, and he leaves. Wherever Logan goes after turning down the offer of both the captain and the old man, he does eventually make his way to train with Ogun in Kanazawa in Wolverine number 103. Ogun becomes Logan's mentor and teaches him martial arts skills, and Ogun becomes a valuable teacher, not only teaching Logan how to fight, but also how to balance his animal and human instincts. In Wolverine number 89, Ogun pushes Logan during a fight to the point that Logan unleashes his rage on Ogun. Logan beats him in the fight, and Ogun tells him that he won, but was it the beast or the man that fought? He then tells Logan that he has to learn how to walk, quote, the sword's edge between heaven and hell, meaning walking the line between his human nature and animal instincts. This has obviously been a struggle throughout Logan's life. He'll go into rages and unleash his strength and claws on his enemies. His failure to temper his animal nature is what lost him the trust and love of Clara Creed when he murdered her brother Saul, and it also leaves him vulnerable to people trying to take advantage of his abilities, like when Silas Burr manipulated him during his training for World War I. So Logan comes to really value Ogun as a mentor, and even comes to look at him as a surrogate father. One day during his training, a group of ninjas come after Ogun, led by a crime lord named Ugama Hana, as told in Wolverine number 169. Hana and Ogun had some bad blood between them, and Hana shows up with his group of ninjas for revenge. Logan wants to jump in and help and protect Ogun, but Ogun says that Logan needs to stand down, there's a blood feud between him and Hana, and he needs to deal with it personally. Ogun easily takes out all of the ninjas there to kill him, and Logan sees just how dangerous his mentor is. When Ogun fights Hana, though, they go back and forth for a bit, and neither can really get the upper hand. But then Ogun drops his sword. He looks at Hana and tells him, go ahead, kill me. Hana obviously didn't realize that that was too good to be true, and goes ahead and stabs Ogun. But Ogun just stands there, unfazed, with a sword through his gut, and his eyes start glowing red, and then he laughs in Hana's face. Ogun pulls the sword out of his body dramatically and kills the now-terrified Hana, decapitating him. After the fight, Logan apparently wasn't too freaked out by Ogun's actions or glowing red eyes, and stays and trains with Ogun for a while. But as important and valuable as Ogun's training was to Logan, they do come into conflict later on after Logan joins the X-Men years later. In the series Kitty Pride and Wolverine, another one that Marvel Unlimited didn't have, uh, we get a little more insight into Ogun. This series takes place later in the chronology, but the important thing is that we learn that Ogun uses a combination of mystical and psychic powers to prolong his life by moving his psyche into new bodies. So he projects his mind into somebody else's body, and ultimately he's able to take over the body as his own. So that's how he uh, lives longer than one lifetime. Um, that doesn't explain how he just brushed off a sword through his abdomen, um, but this is how we know that Ogun's not just some regular guy. He's also not doing this with the individual's consent, and Logan later realizes that his mentor was corrupted by his abilities and desire to escape his own mortality. Ogun actually planned to use this process on Logan, but luckily Logan left Kanazawa before Ogun could carry out his goal. 
why Logan decides to leave or under what circumstances isn't really spelled out anywhere. It's possible he just felt like he'd been in one place for too long. He's always wandering. Um, or maybe he got the sense that Ogan was up to something sinister and decided to get out before anything came of it. Of course, it's Logan, so it doesn't take him long to get into another mess shortly after this. After training with Ogun, Logan is off roaming the earth again, and by 1936, he has somehow made his way to Scotland, where two other mutants have arrived via time travel. This story comes from the limited series X-Men True Friends numbers 1-3 to from 1999. Once again, it was unavailable on Marvel Unlimited, so thanks to UncannyX-Men.net. Really saved the day this episode for me. So we've got two time-traveling mutants in this story that I want to briefly introduce. One is Kitty Pride, a teenage mutant with the power to phase through solid objects and into other dimensions, so she can just walk through anything. And the other is Rachel Summers. And honest to God, we do not have time to get into her story right now. The short version with no details is that she is the daughter of Jean Grey and Scott Summers from an alternate timeline. She's a powerful telepath and telekinetic and bonded to the Phoenix Force. And that is all I am going to say for now. Um, I am not going to go down either the Rachel Summers or the Phoenix Force rabbit hole today. We will get to that later when they come up chronologically. Um, and it's probably going to take an episode or two to break down each of those things. So all we need to know today is that in their present time, Kitty and Rachel are two members of the X-Men and they're on vacation in Scotland together. Not long after they arrive, they get into an argument near an ancient stone circle. When Rachel gets mad, the Phoenix Force reacts with some mystical property of the stones and sends them hurtling back through time to the year 1936. Kitty ends up being transported in the second most unlucky way possible and immediately gets hit by a car. She's fine. She just got a little bump on the head. Um, the most unlucky way to get thrown through time is what happens to Rachel, but we will get to that. Kitty is picked up by some local people and taken to their manor house to recover. She also apparently landed in the richest neighborhood in Scotland, so... That makes things a little convenient for her. When she wakes up, she's greeted by a young girl named Lilibet, who's watching over her. If you happen to be into English royal drama like I am, uh, the name Lilibet might ring a bell from some recent news. It's the name of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's new baby daughter. For those of you not interested in the royal family, there is a point to this tangent, so just hold on. So Meghan and Harry's daughter is named after Princess Elizabeth. Lilibet is a nickname of hers, and the Lilibet in this story is actually Princess Elizabeth as a young girl. Honestly, it's a weird twist, and I wonder if the Queen knows about this story. I didn't expect Queen Elizabeth to make an appearance in the X-Men comics, but I love that somehow two topics that I am always talking about, the X-Men and the Royals, collided in a way that I never expected. Just kind of made my day when I got there. <laughs> Less interestingly than Lilibet, a teenage boy also shows up and introduces himself to Kitty as Alistair Kinross. 
In the comic, he's Lilibet's cousin, but as far as I can tell, he's just a fictional character. When she wakes up, Kitty doesn't know that she's traveled through time, but is a little confused by all the old-timey objects and clothes in the house, especially the ones that they give her to dress in. But I think she just chalks it up to rich people shit and, like, moves on. <laughs> so, still doesn't know what's happened. She asks Lilibet and Alistair if they've seen her friend Rachel, and they tell her that they haven't. Rachel asks if they can call the hotel they're staying in, but they inform her that the hotel doesn't have a phone. She's pretty confused by that because she was just there and knows that they have a phone. And this is also from 1999, so she had to call the hotel to book their stay. Truly terrible now to imagine having to speak to a person on the phone to make a hotel reservation. I just, I can't. I can't do it online. It's not going to happen. Anyway, Alistair says that they could check at a castle down the road owned by a woman called Lady Windermere and see if Rachel is there. And everyone seems really chill about the random girl lost in the middle of the Scottish Highlands who also just got hit by a car. Like, why is it a teenager and a little girl who's helping Kitty? I don't know. Seems like, I don't know, maybe things were different in 1936. <laughs> anyway, they ride horses to the Windermere Castle, and again, Kitty must have just assumed that that's what rich kids in Scotland did to get from place to place. When they get to the castle, the butler answers the door and tells them that nobody has shown up matching Rachel's description, and also, they need to get the fuck out of there. They are not wanted. Before they leave, though, some more guests arrive in a black limo and greet the house staff with an outstretched arm, the Nazi salute. The butler, who was just an asshole to a bunch of children, happily greets a car full of Nazis, saluting them back. Kitty recognizes the salute and calls the Nazis cockroaches, but still doesn't realize how off things are until Alistair tells her that Lady Windermere is a big fan of Hitler and actually met him last year. This is when she finally asks what year it is and learns that she's somehow been transported back to 1936. Understandably, Kitty freaks out a little bit at this point, but she gets it together pretty quick and she knows that the butler was lying and Rachel must be trapped in the Windermere residence with a bunch of Nazis. That's what I meant by the most unlucky place to end up while time traveling. Poor Rachel. Kitty tells Alistair that she's going to go help her friend, and he says that he's going to go with her. He sends Lilibet away to watch their horses and go for help if they don't come back in an hour, or if she hears them sound an alarm. Then he and Kitty sneak into a tunnel that leads into the lower levels of the castle. But once they're inside, they nearly run into a couple of Nazis walking by. Kitty then has to use her powers to phase them through a wall in order to hide. Then, of course, she has to tell Alistair that she's a mutant. He's pretty calm about it for a kid in the 1930s who's probably never heard of a mutant. Once the Nazi guards pass by, Kitty and Alistair make their way to the main level of the castle. One of the Nazis from the limo is there, and as they're sneaking around and hiding, they're able to overhear this conversation, and he introduces himself to Lady Windermere as Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. I jumped ahead in the chronology last time for Magneto, so you might remember Strucker as the Nazi who fought Magneto and Charles Xavier over a bunch of gold. That was about 20 years after this story and when he was trying to rebuild the Nazi regime, but right now he's just a full-blown Nazi working for Hitler. 
Kitty and Alistair overhear that the Nazis are in Scotland to try and destabilize the British monarchy in order to keep England out of the war, and Lady Windermere is in on the plot. The English monarchy at this point is not in a good place. The current king, Edward, is just about to abdicate because the Church of England won't let him marry a divorced American woman named Wallace Simpson. So the Nazis want to cash in on the potential chaos, removing a potential threat to their expansionist and genocidal goals. While they're listening in, Kitty and Alistair hear Strucker's radio go off, and a guard tells him that there's two kids inside the castle. Kitty and Alistair book it and rush out back to the horses, but when they get there, Lilibet is gone. She's been taken, and that's how the Nazis learned that Kitty and Alistair were inside. The two head back to the castle and come across the Nazi-sympathizing butler. They capture and interrogate him until he reveals that Lilibet has been kidnapped and taken to Edinburgh. Lucky for them, and Lilibet, a nearby neighbor owns a plane that Alistair also just happens to know how to fly. Again, one of the benefits of landing in such a rich neighborhood. They steal the plane and fly off, but when they're on their way, they're attacked in the air by Rachel, who's using her phoenix powers to fly and attack them. Kitty is able to turn herself, Alistair, and the plane untouchable with her phasing powers to escape Rachel. She's like using the phoenix power in the form of a phoenix with claws um, and trying to grab the plane, but she can't touch it when Kitty has her powers activated. Kitty is then able to travel to the astral plane and see that Rachel has been possessed by the mystical powers of a man named Amal Farouk, also known as the Shadow King. He's another mutant that will cover another day as far as this whole story goes. All we need to know right now is that he's a mutant with mystical powers and he's helping the Nazis carry out their plot against England. While Kitty is still on the astral plane, Farouk then possesses Alistair, trying to make him crash, and Kitty has to phase through Alistair to break Farouk's hold. Alistair manages to land the plane safely on a lake, um, and then they're able to repair it and fly to Edinburgh Castle. At this castle, Lady Windermere is hosting a party attended by all of her Nazi friends, so Kitty and Alistair dress up to sneak in. Kitty ends up getting trapped in a conversation with a Nazi named Nikolaus Geist, but she's able to use the age-old tactic of escaping to the bathroom, and then she phases her way through the walls and down to the catacombs of the castle looking for Rachel and Lilibet. She discovers them trapped inside of large trunks and unconscious, but as she's working to free them, Farouk telepathically finds her and she has to flee. In other bad news, Lady Windermere, Farouk, and the Nazis have captured Alistair and plan to use him as a human sacrifice in like a spell that Farouk is carrying out to destroy the English royal family. They bring him to the same stone circle that brought Kitty to the past, and Farouk is just about to stab him, but Kitty shows up just in time and phases Alistair away. Farouk, though, has impressed the Nazis by being able to summon a bunch of dangerous spirits or something, so they officially team up. Um, they had assumed up to that point that he was just a lying fake and couldn't actually do any of the mystical things that he claimed. Kitty and Alistair sneak through the castle, get outside, and they hide in the back of a truck where the trunks containing Rachel and Lilibet have been taken. The truck pulls away from the castle, and they think they're safe, but then Farouk possesses the driver, 
and forces them to crash into a lake. Alistair is able to escape, but Kitty has been knocked unconscious by the crates in the back of the truck, and her powers left her intangible, so Alistair can't pull her from the lake because his hands just go right through her body. Miraculously, a man appears and manages to grab Kitty and pull her from the water. It's Logan. I bet you thought that I lied and he was never going to show up in this story. (laughs) For a while, I even forgot that the story was going to include him, but he's finally here. Logan gets her out of the lake. He protects Kitty and Alistair from Nazis, getting shot a bunch of times himself. But of course, he recovers and is able to take all the Nazis that followed them out. Now that they have Logan's help, Kitty and Alistair still need to get Rachel and Lilibet. The trunks in the truck were only a diversion, and they weren't actually inside. Kitty then comes up with another plan. She has a personal connection to this time period because her grandfather suffered in a Nazi concentration camp for being Jewish, and she sees her presence in 1936 as a chance to stop the Holocaust from taking place. So she tells Alistair and Logan that she wants to go take out Hitler and everyone below him who's important in the Nazi party. Um, Then Logan and Kitty are talking some more, and he wonders how Kitty knows about his powers and his name. And, of course, she knows him from her present time in the X-Men. She then asks the fair question of how he ended up right where they just needed to be rescued, especially since he doesn't even know who Kitty is at this point, so it's quite the coincidence. It turns out that he's working with Irene Adler and her partner, a Mr. Darkholm, and he takes the kids back to their place to figure out what to do next. I talked about these two a couple episodes back as well. Um, Irene is a mutant with powers of precognition, and her ability to see the future allowed her to know that Kitty and Rachel would time travel and need help. Mr. Darkholm is actually Mystique shapeshifted into the body of a man. These two have been in a relationship for a while, so maybe in 1936, it was just easier if people thought that one of them was a guy. Of course, none of that explains how Logan ended up in Scotland, or if he knows that Mr. Darkholm is Mystique. They weren't exactly on the best terms last time they saw each other, uh, when she kicked him out of a train after betraying him. But Logan is able to recognize people by how they smell, so I feel like he's got to know that it's her, so they must have just buried the hatchet and moved on from their experience in Kansas City. When Logan is talking with Irene and Mr. Darkholm, he tells her about Kitty's plan to take out the Nazis. Kitty's not there to overhear this conversation, and Irene tells him that Kitty can't carry out her plan to kill Hitler and the other Nazis because changing the past leaves a vacuum that will be filled with something else, and that something else is unknowable but they also can't tell Kitty what to do. They have to just kind of nudge her along to not kill the Nazis. But they're spared having to negotiate that little tightrope walk because before Kitty can go off to carry out her plan, she receives a telepathic message from Rachel. Rachel is still physically trapped, but telepathically fighting against Farouk's psychic control. And she did manage to free Lilibet, who is trying to find help in another nearby castle. Alistair convinces Kitty that they can't leave their friends behind, so she postpones her plans to take out the Nazis to go help Rachel and Lilibet. So she, Alistair, and Logan all head to the castle. I don't know why Mystique doesn't go. Seems like she could be helpful in this situation, but she stays back. 
While Lilibet is searching for help after she's been freed, uh, Farouk is able to overpower Rachel's mind again and sends her searching for Lilibet to kill her. He and the Nazis take Rachel over to the castle Lilibet escaped to and go after her. They now plan to have Rachel kill Lilibet, which will lead to Lilibet's father refusing to accept the English crown when his brother abdicates out of grief over losing his child. This will send England into a constitutional crisis, leaving it so busy with domestic affairs that it won't be able to interfere with the war and possibly leave it susceptible to the influence of Nazi Germany. However, despite their well-laid plans, Logan appears and attacks the three villains. Everything gets kind of chaotic at this point. Everyone is chasing everyone else through the castle, Farouk is possessing one person after another, and Kitty's just phasing through people and walls all over the place. It's quite the shit show. Eventually, though, Lilibet ends up in a small passageway filled with ancient Scottish treasures. Strucker catches up with her and tells her that the Nazis will put all that treasure she found to good use. Lucky for Lilibet, Kitty shows up and steals Strucker's gun. Strucker dares her to shoot him and says he knows she won't actually kill him, but while Kitty's back is turned and before she gets even the chance to shoot him, Farouk possesses the young girl and hits Kitty over the head with one of the treasures in the room. Kitty and Farouk start fighting, and neither can really gain the upper hand because their powers are pretty evenly matched. But Lilibet stabs Farouk with a pin, which distracts him long enough to set everyone else free from his control. Logan is fighting Strucker and mocks him in kind of a funny way. Logan tells him that he's a mutant and that Strucker's supposed master race is already obsolete. Realizing that he can't defeat Logan, Strucker gives up. Rachel takes the opportunity to finally fight Farouk, and Kitty goes to help Rachel, who's now locked in a psychic battle with Farouk. So Kitty steps in with a sword from the treasure and strikes both of them. The blows don't affect them physically, but they disperse their psychic bodies. And together, Rachel and Kitty are able to defeat the Shadow King. They walk out of the passageway and then suddenly find themselves back in their own present time, where they meet a much older Queen Elizabeth again, and they find out that Alistair fought and died in World War II. After Logan beat him, Strucker is sent back to Germany without having accomplished his mission. Logan's off doing whatever. We'll catch back up with him next time. And that is the end of the story from the True Friends limited series. I really debated whether I should cover this story, um, since Logan is barely in it, but I decided since it fits with our theme of the surrounding episodes of fighting Nazis and connects Baron Strucker a bit earlier in the story, it just made sense to cover it, and we do have a point in time to pin down Logan's location, so here it is. <laughs> it was actually a pretty fun story. I would have liked to been able to read it from the actual comic, um, but I did find another website that has some pictures, so kind of gave me at least a glimpse into the comic. Next week, we are going to continue following Logan's trail into World War II, and we'll meet some non-mutant heroes along the way. As always, thank you so much for listening. Um, between episodes, you can always keep up with what I post on Instagram at X-Men Unraveled, 
And if you enjoy the show, I would absolutely love it if you take a minute to leave me a review. Um, That would really help me out. See you next time, and if you end up time traveling, try not to land in front of a car. Bye. (laughs) 